Hello, you are listening to Homilies from Newman University Church, founded by St. John Henry Newman and the home of the Notre Dame Newman Center for Faith and Reason. I've had an earworm all week ever since I first started looking at these readings, and thankfully it was a good one, not some bad jingle or a song of trite meaning. But it's that part of that verse that we just sang in the psalm. The stone which the builders rejected has become the cornerstone. This line from Psalm 117 is in the early church taken up as a short course really in the person of Jesus Christ. That which was rejected is the base upon which all is built. When I was a Holy Cross associate the year after I graduated from university, I went to Portland, Oregon, and I taught in in inner city grade school. All of the kids that I taught were African American. They were from poor and very extremely poor backgrounds. And I lived in a community of six, three men, three women, all recent graduates who were striving to live together simply, to pray together, and to figure out what, where God was calling us in our lives. We learned lots of things that year. We learned a lot about want and the difference between wants and needs, somewhat because our budget was wrong and we truly were living in an intense poverty but it meant that we didn't do much other than sit and talk a lot at night. And we engaged in all sorts of philosophical discussions and questions about who we are and who we're called to be. And there was one priest at the University of Portland, Scott Pell, who introduced an idea to us that perhaps what God was calling us to was a small, more purified, more intense understanding of church. And there's something attractive about it. There's something about this reality that the church must continue to strive to hone itself to become God's useful tool in our world. But one of my housemates, Greg, flatly rejected it. And he reminded us that no, the Catholic Church is everybody. All of us are imperfect. All of us fall short of the goal. And that our purpose must be to have hearts open to everyone, to strive to be as Christ was for all people. And that we're not a small, purified, advanced guard of something. We are the big tent church. In the words of Flannery O'Connor, Catholic, here comes everybody, saint and sinner, all working our way to heaven. And that is an important distinction, and I think it's something that we must remind ourselves always, that when we get into those moments where we're tempted to demonize others, when we're tempted to say that some people don't fit, 
that we accuse them of being cafeteria Catholics or choosing only those things that they like or want and forgetting the other, that so do we. Each of us choose and select those things at least put as primary, those things that we find important and often put aside, those aspects of our faith and our tradition that we find either distasteful, we don't understand, or just don't particularly like. And Jesus, the Good Shepherd, came for everyone, all of creation, to invite each and every person, each and every created being into the fold, to welcome them, to carry them, to nurture them, to cherish them. And it is in that love that we are saved, not because we've merited it in any significant way. Hopefully, we begin to merit in some ways, but we're saved because of God's love for us in the person of Jesus Christ. Jesus ate regularly with sinners, with those rejected by his society. And when he ate with them, he didn't cherish their sin. He was not enchanted by their brokenness. He fell in love with that spark of divinity, that, that human core. And he reached out to them with love, extending dignity, and calling them to a better life, a cleaner life, a life more representative of someone who is cherished and loved by God. We read in 1 John today that we're allowed to call ourselves children of God, for indeed we are. Not only were we first created by God in his image, we've been redeemed by his son through his suffering and death, and we have been brought to a place in creation, in the history of the world, where we now stand as God's children, called to be the living presence of Christ, called to be that same redemptive person that he is. In some future time, in some future place, John tells us, we will know what all of that will look like because we will be seeing God and we will be like God. But we know that that process has already begun. It's begun in us at our baptism when we've been shorn of those sins that hold us back. We've been given the Holy Spirit empowered to go forth and to, to proclaim the good news to proclaim it with our mouths, to proclaim it with our lives. And isn't that what we see Peter doing today? Again, sometimes we forget those dependent clauses. But Peter is speaking to the leaders of his day, saying, you are challenging us for healing someone, for allowing him to walk. And I tell you, we did it in the name of Jesus, and all that can happen, all that will happen, that is good, is in the name of Jesus. But the dependent clause is filled with the Holy Spirit. Peter, we know, was not able to do this on his own, but when he allowed himself to be filled with the Holy Spirit at that Pentecostal moment, when he became renewed 
in the person of Jesus Christ, he was able to go out and heal as Christ did. He was able to teach as Christ did. He was able to go with the confidence of one who walked in unity with his loving God into the face of those people who could oppress him and beat him and bring the good news. Jesus is the good shepherd. He's the one that went before us, calling us all to himself, bearing us on his shoulders, and bringing us home. We now have that same spirit with which he lived to bear the needs of others, to reach out to the broken, to hug the lonely, and to remind them that there is a purpose, there is a meaning, and that we have it, not because it's ours, but because it's God. And we have it for one purpose, to give it away. As church, we are called to be as the Good Shepherd is, united as one with our Heavenly Father, self-sacrificing, not in some sense of beating ourselves up, but in the sense of caring so much for the needs of others that we want them to know what we know, to have what we have, and that we give of ourselves in the way that love allows us to give without taking away from who we are, but becoming ever more fully the person God calls us to be. The Christian life is to be transformative. We have thoughts, we have ideas, we have structures, we have all sorts of things to help us, but ultimately, it's about you and God. It's about us and the one who saved us. Today, we approach the altar of salvation. We once again reenact that saving action of Jesus Christ, where he becomes present on our altar. He becomes real in our midst so that we can take that which he is consume it and become ever more fully that which we are to be. It's not magic. It is mystical. It is truth. It is our joy. Let us profess it today and every day of our lives.